Are you feeling like no one understands your struggles? That you're isolated and alone? Like no one has your back to support, encourage, or celebrate your wins with you? Well, let me personally invite you to join me in the Living Fearless Today Facebook group. Hey, we recently launched the group and are open to other men just like you who want to know their worth, value, and purpose to grow in confidence, find their worth, and appreciate their contributions. So if you simply search Living Fearless Today on Facebook, and uh, then just click to join us. I look forward to meeting you, seeing your growth, and the success you begin to experience in your life within this band of men. This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forster, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. Man, today I have Corey Hilton with me. Corey was a male exotic dancer who has gone through a transformation to heal, just elevate and amplify who he is and, you know, like who he really wants to be at his core. And so I'm super excited to have a conversation with Corey and to, to have you here with us. So Corey, how are you doing today, my friend? Oh man, thanks so much, Mike. Yes, I'm doing really good. I really, I'm honored to actually be on your podcast. I'm doing really, really well over here, and um, yeah, I'm excited to actually share my story with you and uh, kind of give you an idea as to where I'm at now, where I've been in the few, in the past, and uh, some of the experiences that I've had. So, thanks again, man. This is a great experience, dude. My pleasure. I'm grateful to have you here. We've had some awesome conversations already before this, and so I'm I'm really excited to to jump in here. For sure. For sure. Corey, if we could, what what does life look like for you on the personal side today? Where are things at? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, it's probably better than it's, it's been in, in a heck of a long time. Um, I think a lot of the time we tend to think that, oh, we have to be in a relationship or we have to have certain things in our life to make us happy. And truthfully, um, I'm single right now. I'm a 51-year-old guy. I live by myself with my amazingly beautiful boxer dog. And um, I'm living a life actually of, in a lot of ways, of liberation. Um, I kind of find that um, through my my journey of writing my book and through my journey of introspection, I've actually found that um, through authenticity, I've become very liberated and come to realize that loving myself for the person that I am without having to rely on other parties to uh, make me happy has changed my life in a lot of ways. So um, I have regrets just like anybody else does in this world. But at the same time, where I'm at in the present right now, um, you know, life can always be better. I'm not here to say that it's it's perfect because nothing is perfect. But I feel like I'm progressing in a way that I've never really progressed before by opening up certain things that I really wasn't able to face in the past. That's awesome. Yeah. How about on the business side of things? What does that look like for you? Oh, that's exciting. It's exciting and scary, actually, all at the same time. Um, I think that for myself, I have I, done my career in the dance industry. But at the same time, after I retired from that, I went into the job um, 
I guess you could say the the employment realm and worked for a few different companies. And, um, you know, quite frankly, I made a lot of other people a lot of money. Um, but at the same time, I was never really pursuing my own dream. And I kind of lost that element of creativity in my life, which is something that I really value. So with that, I have a, the emotional feeling that I have attached to creativity is excitement. And so when that excitement started to deteriorate, when I was sitting in my cubicle doing a job that I really didn't enjoy, um, that was something that I kind of felt like I was dying inside a little bit. And I needed that spark. I needed that excitement that I had before. And the only way I could find that was to do something that I really had a purpose, that I really had a passion to be able to do. And so, you know, I just made the sacrifice to, to go ahead and just start to just incrementally step by step um, pursuing my dream. And, and, you know, I've had one dream in the dance industry that I, I hit the top of the mountain. And I've also hit the rock bottom as well in that industry. In this, um, it's an un, it's a, it's an unpredictable future. Um, but I do know that by everything that I put into this, I put my heart and my soul into this. I do know that that the end result is going to be amazing as long as I just keep progressing, keep making those steps and not necessarily looking to the top of the mountain to expect to be there tomorrow. But I do know that the work that I have put in has a very massive purpose over and above just some stories of the past. I know that I can impact a lot of lives with what I've done based on my perspective from a very unique industry. I have very relatable things that are in this book that, you know, a lot of people make, oh, that's an amazing story, or that was really funny, or whatever it may be. But at the end, they actually realize that, hey, you know, that guy kind of went through some of the same stuff that I'm going through right now. I understand the, 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 the lack of acceptance or the lack of support that this person had in this, in, in this crazy industry. I, I have that same sort of thing. So, like I said, Mike, it's not like I'm expecting people to to truly understand what was what my journey was all about because you weren't they weren't there. But I can kind of describe it in a fairly unique format to be able to say, hey, you know, you can do this too. Uh, if I can do it, anyone can in my eyes because I was somebody that really lacked self worth. You'd never think that by the industry that I was in, but. Um, you know, my alter ego had a lot of self worth when he was out on stage, but when the lights came down and I went home my self-worth wasn't all that great. You know, I, you know, I couldn't hide behind my exterior alter ego anymore. I had to really look into the interior and, and really figure out why I was feeling the way that I was about myself and why I wasn't necessarily happy with the person that I looked in the mirror at. And I'm not talking about the external. I'm really talking about who I was as a person, you know, and, and, the, and why the things happened to me in my life. And I went through some divorce, uh, divorce 15 years ago, quite frankly, that I really didn't really let go of some of that stuff. I played a lot of blame game, you know? So when it comes to that, you can point the finger at somebody. That's really easy to point the finger at somebody for all the things that they did wrong, but it's really sometimes hard to face that by looking at, you know, using your thumb a little bit and really kind of admitting to some of the things that you did wrong and being accountable for them. And that's what I meant by liberating. I'm liberating is the word for it. That's the way I feel in the present, liberated without a doubt. Now you had mentioned your book. You've got a book coming up here in a week. January 18th is the release. You bet. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like the the book and what's in it? And, sure. and then we'll jump from there into like the purpose of the book. What are you oh, to provide gosh. there? 
Yeah, I wish we had longer than an hour, Mike. Um, you know, the, the, the book is 100,000 words. So I, I put a lot into this thing. And, and it's, it's something that started off, quite frankly, and it's called Take It Off, Revelations of a Male Exotic Dancer. Um, the reason why I named it Take It Off was not just because of taking your clothes off. It has to do with taking the layers off, taking the layers of the past off, those layers that life put on you that, that bog you down. You know, we're all born with this this, this, I guess you could say oblivious mindset where we're just kind of like, oh, the world's all great and everything's fine. And then life starts chipping away at you and those layers start stacking on. So for me, the way that I was able to remove a lot of those layers were from the pillars, the, the actual values and the struggles that I had with those values and the learning experiences that I, that I learned from them. So that is a huge component of, of the actual meaning behind the title. Now, Revelations of a Male Exotic Dancer, some of the true things that I reveal about my past, good and bad. And there's some funny things in there. There's some things that could make you cry. There's some things that'll blow your mind. I mean, there's, there's, and it's very adult oriented. I'm not going to deny that. There's a bit of a trigger warning on it. If people are looking for political correctness, they might want to look somewhere else because it is a bit of a foregone industry now of, of time from back in the 80s and 90s. But um, as, as far as like the, 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 the meaning behind the whole thing, it takes you on a ride. It takes you on a ride from when I was about five years old. And I really discovered my difference between truth and my perspective and the things that scared me when I was a little kid and that I thought were one thing. And in my adulthood realized were a completely different thing. And so I, my perspective was completely off and gave me fear through my entire life that was actually completely off kilter that I should never have even been scared of. So those things when you're a kid, right, they kind of affect you. But then it takes you on the journey from when I got to be 17 years old. And yes, I said 17 years old when I decided to actually go into this crazy industry here in Canada. And of course, the drinking age or being allowed into the bars here in Canada is 19 years old. So how did this guy get in there at 17 years old, right? So I ended up having a, a very interesting story about how I got introduced to this industry, the people that I actually met through this, my fears, my, my, the, my lack of worthiness that made me think, oh, I could never do something like that. And those fears sometimes, I truly believe your greatness is hidden right behind your biggest fears. So for me, I was very scared. I had nightmares as a kid about exposing myself. And then what did I end up going into an industry where I expose myself more than most people would ever dream of. Right. So, and then it takes you along that, that, that timeline and the timeline carries on from my, from the age of basically 17, right out till 43 years old. And in that time I went through things, like I said, divorce, I was married to my wife for eight years. And, and uh, you'd think again, there are a lot of people think, Oh, how could a person even be married to somebody that doesn't is in an industry like this, you know, and actually even be able to trust them being out there doing what they're doing. Surprisingly enough, I was actually on the other side of that. I made my wife feel extremely comfortable with what I was doing and she loved what I did. I was able to really, really ease her mind. And I can proudly say that in my entire time that I was married to her, I never ever messed up one time in that department. Right. Whereas a lot of other guys, that were married or had girlfriends were out there doing a lot of other things where when I was right beside them, literally watching that stuff happen right in front of me all the time. So, and then it carries on, like I said, Mike, till, you know, you realize that you're maybe at the point where 
it's not something that you can even do anymore because you've passed your prime. You're now you're 43 years old. You're not that guy you were when you were 17 that was looking at maybe that guy that was out there doing a show that shouldn't be anymore. I never wanted to be that guy. When I first started, I looked at that and thought, oh, I never want to be him. And then I came to that realization at 43 that I was actually at that point and had to hang it up finally. And so it's just an interesting dynamic. It's an interesting journey that most people have always asked me about. They said, what was it like, Corey? What was it like? And I've given them so many great stories and they say, oh, you should write a book. And I said, yeah, I should. And I said that for years and years and years. And guess what I did? I didn't write the book because I sat back and thought, oh, it's not worth it. Nobody's actually going to care about what I did. Nobody's going to want to hear these stories. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's just my life, right? And then when I actually started doing it, I started getting all these people saying, oh, wow, like I'm so interested in hearing what your story was like because nobody knows. I think a lot of people want to know what it was like behind the velvet rope. They're not willing to go out there and do it themselves. I, I, I totally understand that and respect that. Not everybody's born to go out there and do that or even wants to. But a lot of people are really interested. They really want to know, like, what was that kind of like? I would be the same if I was on the other side of the coin. So that's what I did. I literally put it down. And, and I, I really believe, Mike, that this I've, I've, I've had the accomplishment of being Mr. Nude Western Canada. I was second in Mr. Nude Canada. I was at Chippendale. I worked down, well, a Chippendale affiliate. I worked down in Club La Vila in Panama City Beach, Florida for 10 years, the largest beach club in North America. I hit the peak there. Like I was able to really hit the top of the mountain on a lot of those things. But at the same time, the best, in my opinion, the most important work that I've ever done in my life that can impact others is what I just put down on paper. And I'm really proud of what I did. And now I'm in that realm of going, hey, now it's time to get out there and really start impacting lives. Now it's starting time to put myself out there with no fear and just say, hey, I'm going to give it everything that I got. It doesn't have to be perfect. I can just go out there and progress every day at what I'm doing. And if I just continue to do that incrementally every time and get better at what I'm doing, uh, it, it just can't go wrong. Cause, cause to me, yes, I don't have any backup plan. Like I, I could, I could literally in six months from now, if everything fell sideways, I could be back sitting in that cubicle, but it's worth the risk. It's worth taking the risk because I put so much into that. And this is my dream. I'm not here to sacrifice my dream to be able to build somebody else's anymore. I want to do mine. So that's kind of where I'm at. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> I love it, man. The passion and, and just the, the honesty and vulnerability. Oh. I'm really, I'm really curious. You said like you struggled with unworthiness, right? Doubting that you had worth, you know, in the equation there. Mm-hmm. How did you get past that to then like be naked? No offense, man. Like no, I think no, no. one of the biggest like nightmares for people mm-hmm. is that, you know, they, they have these dreams where they're naked and it's that vulnerability, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but then to do it in, in real life, mm-hmm. how, how did you get past that barrier that, you know, unworthiness to then just bear it all? Like, how did you, how did you make that, that transition? I actually have two different answers for that question. It all depends on where you're asking, where in the timeline. If you're asking about when I first started, when I was 17 years old, stepping out on stage or where I'm at now, because there's a big difference between those two. And what I mean by that is, is when, and I I can even describe it really, when it comes down to the past to be able to step out there and, and actually just take my clothes off, right? Like that's just, that's just a simple fear, 
right? Like that's just like, okay, what are people going to think of me? Right. Like, what are people going to think if I, if I, if, uh, and, and ironically, when I did my first show taking it all off as far as the exterior, I was actually doing a show where a few girls from my graduating class in high school were there. So you want to talk intimidating, right? Like, and what people are going to think of me? Oh my God. Like, so scary. Right. So, but to go out there and do it, I was very fortunate that I actually ran into a guy that was actually like the Elvis of stripping in Canada. He was my mentor. He was somebody that I really respected a lot. He wasn't an average type of the stereotypical stripper guy, really. Like, I mean, I guess people kind of can put their own stereotypes into what a male dancer might be. And probably 90% of the time, they're right. But for, for myself and my mentor, it was a little different. We held ourselves with a class. We actually respected others. Like, and that means the female persuasion in a big way as well, right? Like there was a there's a there's a big difference between between, I guess you could say, those stereotypical guys that did a lot of nasty things and us. And so when I learned from somebody that that was that amazing at what he did, I learned all of his techniques, what he was doing on stage, and he gave me the confidence. He boosted me up and said, Corey. You know, we have to create you a dance name. We have to create you a, a show. We have to put all this stuff together. I can have you on stage in three weeks. Let's just do this thing. You have every ability that I have. You have every ability that I do. And I'm talking exterior and interior to do this thing. So he gave me that confidence. And so by having his support, and, and he was even more nervous than I was when I went out to do my first show, if you want to know the truth. Um, but to, to actually do it. That was the funny thing was, is when I actually first actually like literally showed myself, it wasn't that scary. It's just like anything when you're going to jump off of a, of a cliff into water from 15 meters up, it's scary when you're standing up on the cliff and you're looking down at the water. But when you do the actual process, it's not really that scary. Right. So that, that was kind of what it was like when I first entered into the industry. But on the flip side of that, when it came to unworthiness, afterwards and and realizing that i carried this internally through my entire dance career through my 40s into my like just up till a year and a half ago i still had a massive sense of unworthiness inside of me and it really comes down to my way that i was able to get that out of my head so to speak was is i actually and i call myself an introspective influencer and the reason why i call myself that is because i took a year and a half to dive in and do mad introspection and really figure out okay you know why do i always kind of feel like i might be destitute one day when i've never been destitute before why do i why am i always so worried about money when i've never really had a massive lack of money before like why are these things always in my head? So I actually had to go back into my family history and be honest and not, not, and I'm not, I waited till my grandparents who raised me passed away. But when I actually did that and I could be authentic about it and say, you know, I loved my father. I loved my mother. They were the, I would never trade my family away. I would redo it all over again. No problem at all. Like I was lucky. I was blessed to have the family that I had. They supported me in every way, but were they always right? No, they didn't come with a manual at all. So they just showed me the things that they knew. And But I was raised by people that were depression era people that actually struggled and really suffered through a lot of things that the people of this generation have no idea what that struggle was like, right? So when that, that, that lack 
that was embedded inside of my father in particular was very much passed down to me. So he always threw these things at my head. You can't ever get a job done right unless you do it yourself. Always keep a quarter in your pocket because you got to make a phone call. All these little things, you know, store your money underneath your mattress because you're going to need it someday. Like all those things that the fear, the fear, the fear, it was just always kind of driven into me. So subconsciously, I carried all that. And then I did some really deep introspection and I asked myself why, and then I asked myself why again, and I did seven levels deep of why, and this is standard training that if you're involved in self personal development, a lot of people know the seven levels deep thing. But when I went seven levels deep, I actually really found out some really interesting things about myself that I didn't even understand where I actually had my, my grandmother who I adored, she turned around and said to me at a young age, Corey, you're a follower. You're not a leader. And I remember where she was standing. I remember the look on her face. And I was probably eight years old when she said that to me as a little kid running around, you know, just following my friends. And probably at that time, I might have been a bit of a follower. But that wasn't, that was pretty harsh to say to a kid of that age and then have that embed and then make me think that I was a follower all my life and never had the ability to lead. And it did hold me back in some of my jobs and it held me back in some of the things that I pursued. And so I did follow a lot of the time and I, and I actually mimicked exactly what she was saying. And even in my relationship with my wife, I mimicked actually what my father did. And I was living a bit of a Ricky and Lucy marriage in the year 2000, which was completely ridiculous and led me to a lot of the problems that I had in my marriage with emotional disconnection and not really connecting with my ex-wife actually just communicating and getting through the daily operations, going to work, do my thing, come home. Hi, honey, I'm home. Dinner's on the table. You're so tired. You want to go to bed already. And the next day reset. And it's just got to that point where I understood why I broke down. Right. So I had to really dig deep into understanding why did these things happen? And then from there, I wasn't then when I realized truly without any type of blinders on being completely authentic and true. When I realized that, then I was like, okay, I can start using my thumb now instead of pointing the finger at her and saying it was all your fault that we we divorced. And then I didn't carry that weight anymore, Mike. I carried that weight since we were divorced for almost 15 years. And what, what damage did it do? It did damage to me. It didn't do damage to anyone else. It did it all to me. So again, I come back to liberation and it's liberation for this. And it's that take it off, take those layers off to liberate your own mind, to feel better about the person that you are and being accountable for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I really honestly did that. And I may not have a million dollars. And like I said, I may be sitting here as a single guy with my boxer, but I'm telling you, life's a whole lot different now than it was a year and a half ago. It's a whole lot different now because I actually have peace of mind and I've protected my peace, right? So that's kind of where I'm at. So as you're going along, like when you, when you, started out, you know, doing the, the male exotic dancing, right? Yeah. You talked about, you had like this persona that was confident and then Mm -hmm. you've got your, your true person, you know, like how you really feel. Yeah. Was that disconnected? That difference? Was that something you were aware of back then? Or like, what, what did it take to bring about that? There's there's kind of two Corys going on, you know, the one that everybody sees when you're on stage and then the one that everybody sees when you're away from, you know, from the show. Yeah, that's a great question. I love that actually. Um, 
I think that for myself, I lived under my alter ego. Um, and that's part of the cover of my book. You'll see, I actually have a mask on one side of my face and my other side of my face is me. And the reason why is because my alter ego, I hid behind that for a long time. So like any actor or anybody in entertainment, I mean, you can even be a rock star. Um, there's a certain flick of the switch that happens. And it's kind of like, just when you're standing on the side of the stage, just when you're about to take that first step out there, right? You got to kind of switch off one side of your mind and go, okay, every bit of fear that I have, every bit of self-doubt that I have, I've got to. There's no question. The audience is waiting right now. They know what to expect. I can't just sit there and, and go into my turtle shell because that that's not going to entertain. That's not going to work. So I had to switch that off and go, okay, you're the person that 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 is going to present this amazing show, whether it's going to make somebody laugh their tails off, whether it's going to make them cry, whether it's just going to make them scream out whatever they want to scream out. You have to, you have to go out there and put 150% into it. And, and my alter ego was very much able to do that because I actually had, I had, and it didn't, it didn't happen overnight, Mike, like my first show, I was nervous and yeah, I got a good response, but it was nothing compared to when I was say five years into the industry and I'd done it for a while. So did I still have butterflies when I went out there and I was still nervous? Absolutely. I was totally nervous when I did shows and that meant that I cared. Right. But at the same time, when it came to the other side of it, like when, when it came to the self doubt side of it, I'll just say that, that really it, it was more because I was very afraid to really, I guess in a lot of ways, there was a fear inside of me to reveal my true self, the real person that I am, all the faults that I have, all the things that are they, my imperfections. And I always was striving to be perfect, right? I was going to be, I was going to show everybody how great and perfect I was on stage and off stage. So I had this conflict and it was like, and I didn't even realize, I swear, I did not even realize how much ego that I actually carried on uh, from on stage to off stage into my regular personal life. And I didn't even just up till a couple of years ago, I never realized how much ego I actually had because I always never, I never ever wanted to be some egotistical stereotypical stripper guy that, that I just never wanted that persona and not, not, I'm talking about me. I never wanted that persona. The, 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 the alter ego, they can, anybody can think what they want to think about him. But for me personally, I just never wanted to carry that just in my heart. Like I've never wanted to hurt anybody. I never wanted to do any damage to other people. I just wanted to entertain and inspire and have a whole lot of fun and be a free bird doing what I was doing. And I did that for 25 years of my life from 17 on out till 43 and was able to lean on that and get through life in a way that most people never ever will. And I got a lot of great stories and I had so many great value, you know, things that happened in my life that I would never trade for the world. But when, again, when the lights went down, right. And it was just me, I had to face a lot of those things that I was not willing to face. So when it came to my personal life, those things started to chip away at it. Like as in how dare my ex actually even, you know, think of breaking up with me. I'm so perfect. How could they break up with me? You know, how dare she do that? I took her out of a bad situation and I brought her into my cool world and I gave her all the greatest things. I was a knight in shining armor that rode in and saved the day for her. She's never going to break up with me. Come on. Well, guess what happened? She ended up breaking up with me, you know? And so, so, but, and, but at that time I was angry, resentful, 
you know, just sitting there going, how dare she do that to me? And, and I carried that anger and just, just like I said, like, I, I really, it was almost like she owed me something. I was looking down, looking down at her from my pedestal going, you know, and it was so wrong to do that to somebody because her intent was never to hurt me either. She just realized that our relationship had degraded that much that it turned into that comfort zone, that, that hi, honey, I'm home thing. And, and she was 10 years younger than me. And I can understand that when it comes to that, maybe I was at 38 years old when we divorced and she was 28. And I was just at a different point in my life where I was kind of at that point where my life had changed a lot. And I was, again, not creative. And I was that side of me was deteriorating. So I changed. Right. It wasn't necessarily so much. She changed too, but I changed a lot. And when we first split, I wasn't willing to to face that. I wasn't willing to admit that I'd changed. I was just kind of like, Hey, I'm still the guy you married. How dare you? (laughs) Right. So when I look back on it now, I laugh about it, but at the same time, I went through a lot of pain through that. And I went through a massive struggle with that for many, many years where I had to do a lot of law and force gump walks to figure that stuff out, right? To actually go, okay, well, this didn't, sorry for my dog slurping in the background here, but I'm just saying that, you know, I had to actually figure that out myself. And again, you can you can pass it off on on anybody else to figure it out for you. Yes, I went to therapy. I went through a few sessions of that and really tried to figure my my head out a little bit. But at the same time, it really took me to be my own best therapist to really to dig in and really listen to some people that I admired, take the golden nuggets that they actually gave what didn't apply to me. I put it aside. What applied to me, I wrote it down. And I really took a lot of great people's advice because we have such an amazing ability to do that now with social media, with the internet, and really faced those fears. I really just went in and said, okay, this is my story. This is why this happened. And Again, that's what brought me to this place, this place of imperfection that I'm loving so much right now because it's still progression. So I hope that kind of answered what you were asking. (laughs) Yeah, that absolutely does. Hi, Coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough and playing small, honestly, this isn't your lot in life. There is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call to set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call and take that first step towards your life transformation. What what was it that was like that catalyst to get you to that point of delving into um you know your your lack of worth and and the fear and and everything that was um you know what you were facing as the offstage Corey like what yeah. was that that thing that put you on the path to doing that introspection that you talk about? Yeah, that's a tough subject, Mike. I mean, right. Uh, I guess what I can say to that was um, I, I, I adored my, my grandparents, as I said, my parents, they were the people that raised me. And so, and I didn't, I didn't want to release my book until um, they were passed away. And I knew they were, my dad was 97 years old. My mom passed away at 87. Like, 
these these folks they they saw this little kid that that they raised and i wanted them to keep that that image of me i didn't want them to see the other side of some of the things that i did truthfully um but at the same time i, I have no fear i'm i have as far as what well, i'm an open book literally now and i think that the the needle mover the thing that got me to really start working on me Yes, it, it had partially to do with having the ability to due to COVID and a lot of the things that were happening in the world. But the real needle mover really was when my father, my grandfather passed away. When he passed away, I, I was able to kind of go through a bit of a grieving process and then go, okay. And it, sometimes it's amazing, like when your folks pass away you start hearing other stories from other family members or from other people about them that you never heard before. And you start to realize that those people, that person that you put up on that pedestal, that person that you looked at as a superhero was not a superhero. And they had as many faults as you did, or possibly even more that they passed down to you. And so I had to face that and go, okay, he wasn't perfect. My grandmother wasn't perfect. I'm far from it. So based on just, the way that my life's gone, I have to kind of face some of those things myself and do some inner work myself to be able to be at a state of harmony. So that was part of the needle move. But also an interesting thing was that I came to realize, and I, and this is something I wrote in the book as well, that although I had an amazing father and amazing mother who raised me, my uh, being adopted to my grandparents, obviously I'm in contact with my biological mother who uh, who's their daughter. And, but I never met my biological father and I still haven't to this day. And that's fine. That's okay. And I never really knew anything about the man, but I, I did know one thing and, and I buried it in my subconscious when I was about 12 years old my um, my mother, <laughs> she, my biological mother, she said to me, Corey, I'm your mother. And I said, no, 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 you're my sister. That's my parents in there. And I didn't even know, like I was, I was oblivious to it. I still believe that my grandparents were my real parents. So, and then when she said, I'm your mother, I, was, I, I kept, I thought it was funny. I was like, oh no, 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 no. Right. And then she said, but I am. And if you want to actually meet your biological father, I can arrange to have that happen. And I reluctantly and confused said, okay. And so I accepted that offer. And then when she reached out or my uncle reached out to him to have him come to meet me, he stood me up that day and never showed. And so buried deep inside my subconscious was a bit of a feeling of, a, of um, to a certain degree, abandonment, to a certain degree, rejection, to a certain degree. And so I kind of buried that as well. So I had a kind of a dual thing going on there where it was kind of like, I didn't feel worthy for a couple of different reasons. And so I had to figure that out. And when I actually figured that out, it actually released something. It was almost like there was just a, another little bit of liberation in my life that I kind of had that, that layer was there that stripped off again. Right. So it's just, and everybody's story is different. Right. And so to me, and I wrote this in the book, there's a lot of bad apples of good intent in your life. They can be in your family group. They can be in your environment, your friend group, whatever it may be. You may have some of the best people that you love with all your heart that have the best intent, but they're unfortunately, they're a bad apple because they're actually pushing things into your head that are the wrong things and making you hold yourself back based on their opinion. So for, for that, it was it, that in itself was just another layer that I just went, okay, I respect these people. I love these people, but, and their intent was right, 
but it was not the right direction for me. And so when I actually figured that out again, I came to realize that why am I looking for these people's support when they're bad apples of good intent? Like, I don't want to mirror who they are. So why am I surrounding myself with these people and expecting their support? Whereas, and, and they've normalized me. Whereas if I go to my yoga studio to go and do yoga now, because I used to be a bodybuilder, but now I'm undoing a lot of that damage by going to yoga. Mentally, I just really was able to do that. And so if I open up to some of those folks, maybe at the yoga studio, maybe as an instructor or just someone that I met there that has never met me before. And I say, this is what I'm doing with my life. This is the direction I'm going in. I've written a book. I want to be a speaker. I want to go into course development. I really want to make an impact. I'm going to change the world and help out men that are over 30 years old that deal with lack. They deal with self-doubt. They deal with all the things that I dealt with. I want to help those people out. They're just like, sign me up. Oh my God, like, come on, you know, like, tell me about it. Tell me more. And so then I started getting that confidence and realization that, yeah, maybe my inner circle wasn't all that right. Maybe they were just, they were in their intent was right, but it was just the wrong message. Right. So I've changed my whole perception of that and surrounded myself with some amazing people and, and people that inspire me. And, and I'm not scared to reach out to people that are on a pedestal that I'm looking up to. And that's the biggest thing that I've learned through this process is I'm not looking down at anyone anymore from my pedestal or looking up at anybody at on their pedestal. I want to look people straight in the eye and realize that, hey, they're just human, just like I am. Even if I adore them, they could be the biggest rock star on the planet. They're just another person that's trying their best just like me. And they're not perfect. They're just progressing in their own way too, in their own daily operations. Right. Because even if that person, I mean, God, God, I, I, there's some, some people that I admire so much that I would love to get face to face with in this world. But I also realize that they have just as many struggles and just as many problems as I do most likely, or maybe even more. So why do I put them on that pedestal so much? Right? Like I can admire their talent, but they're just another person. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was going. <laughs> so in order to look somebody like straight in the eye mm -hmm. and see yourself on their level, yeah. You've had to see yourself for your true worth. How have you determined your worth from where it was lacking before? And, you know, you had those limiting beliefs that had been imprinted on you. How have you gotten to the point where, where you are able to see, you know, somebody eye to eye on that same yeah. level? Yeah, that's good. Um, Again, and I referred to this before, actually, in another conversation, but it came to, again, learning from others that, that I, I, you only know what you know, Mike, right? Like, and so I had to learn from others and, and dive into places that I'd, I'd never really, I got to get out of my comfort zone and go into places I'd never gone before. So what did I do? I actually went ahead and Googled value words. And literally like wrote down value words and took the ones that were the strongest ones that applied to me. And then I took those value words and attached an emotional feeling that's connected to those value words. What so that, that, that like? made me... Can, can you yeah. give a well, little more specific on that? Yeah. Okay. So what I'm saying is, is that like, okay, my values, and I'm sorry, I'm going to look off because I got my my little board here, but some of my values are, as an example, integrity, unity, protection, relationships, creativity, wisdom, leadership, detachment. Like those are all essential things 
that I have that are value words, but then I have emotional feelings that are connected to those. So for example, maybe for creativity, as I said, it's excitement, maybe for relationships, it's connection. Um, maybe for, for uh, uh, just, a, I'm just going to look over, but as far as protection, ease. Okay. So all those things that they make me feel the way that they do. And if I'm actually aligned with all those values and I have all those emotional feelings are, are at a peak, which is impossible because you just can't like that's perfection. That's not going to happen. But if I had all those things aligned, perfectly aligned, my inner purpose feeling that I have behind that is harmony. That's the word that I come up, came up with myself is, is it's all harmonious. It's all working in, in, in the best way. So again, that's to me, some hippy dippy stuff here, but that keeps me at a high vibration that keeps me at the best version of myself that I can possibly be. So did I learn that myself? No, I actually had an amazing editor and a publisher through Daring Dig Share Global that I worked with for this last year and a half. And when I was going through the writing process, she said to me, okay, Corey, what are your values? Like, where are they? And where, what are those emotional things attached to them? And so by doing that and actually determining those things, I came to realize that, okay, you know, living by my authentic self, I have to be accountable. And so again, by being accountable, I was able to attach to those values, attach those, those feelings, to those values. And then the greatest thing happened. I was able to actually go and even mend fences that I never dreamed could be mended. And what I mean by that is, as I started looking my ex-wife in the eye, instead of looking down at her from my pedestal. And for 15 years after we divorced, I maybe spoke to her three times playing the blame game. In the last six months, I've spoken to her countless times. She's probably my biggest fan. And why that is, is because I started looking at her as a person that, I, that was at an, a, an even level with me and an even keel with me. And I actually, for the first time after an eight-year marriage, started working with her as a team and actually said, hey, would you be willing to actually even put your perspective into where we were at back then? And, and so I can add that into the book. So it's not a one dimensional perspective. Can I actually, you know, ask you some really interesting questions about certain pivotal moments in our life that, that I can, that I can share with others so that it has more of an impact. And she was all about it and she gave me her truth. And so she grew and she healed a lot through that process. And that makes me feel as a person in, in just in my heart, like that actually fills my heart. Because although we had our conflict, which was long ago, do I wish harm upon her or pain upon her for the rest of her life? Absolutely not. Like now, all I want her to do is, is live the best version of herself that she can. But by, by holding her in that prison, and that's what I was kind of doing was I was putting her in that, in that cage of blame. Then what was that doing for anyone? It, was, it was, wasn't getting anyone anywhere. Yes, she made mistakes and so did I. But uh, I can face that now and look her in the eye. And on the other side of that, I've had somebody that I really, really cared about that is really written in the book as well that I looked up to for a very long time from down here. I was looking up at her and her pedestal and I adored her. She was actually my first love of my life and I adored her and I put her on that pedestal, Mike, and guess what she did? She actually used passive aggressive comments with me at times. She kept me right down, looking down at me, playing the, uh, playing the, the, the hand on me for a long time. And so I was, I, and, but I continued just based off of the, the adoration that I had for this person. I continued to keep myself at that level, looking up at her and going, Oh, 
you're so amazing. You're such a rock star. And, and that was wrong in its own right. And it, it didn't serve me at all. And it ended up collapsing. We ended up in a relationship and it ended up collapsing as well because we were not at eye level. So again, if I was to have a perfect relationship and I'm happy to be single right now, because I still have work to do on me and that's okay. I'm happy with that. But to me, if I'm truly going to align with the right people in my life, I have to be at that point where I actually have that in me to be able to give that and serve that to someone else and have that reciprocate back to me the same way. So that's, that's what I kind of mean by looking people in the eye. I love it. As you've found like your self-worth, your values, and you've gone through this transformation, Mm -hmm. what have you seen it open up as far as um, opportunities that you've taken and things you've done, you know, that you might not have before, um, you know, before you were understanding your worth and you were looking at people eye to eye, what are some things that, that it's equipped or enabled you to then step out in, in, you know, like in a, a courageous direction? Um, you know, I, I, I have to say, uh, as far as courageous goes, I don't know how much I would use that word as much. I would just say that really when it comes to just opening up a door to to, to maybe here, here's a good example. When I was in sixth grade, Mr. Cousins, my sixth grade teacher, he always said, Mr. Hilton, you're an amazing talker and you can really present very well. In fact, you might even go into marketing one day, but you really have to learn to listen. And so through this process, instead of talking all the time, and then when somebody else is speaking to me, and waiting to figure out what my reply is going to be when I'm speaking to someone, I actually absorb now what they're saying. And I really, really bring in what they're trying, the message that they're trying to convey before I open my mouth back up to them instead of just spitting out filler. And I think a lot of the time I spat out filler a lot of the time to carry on a conversation. And now I actually really think about it. Even just as an example, if I'm going to go text somebody and I realize that it's maybe impersonal, I'll send that text to myself first and go, ooh, that was a little impersonal before I actually send it off. So that's just on a simple level, that 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 definitely has been a bit of a change. But I again, like I, now I don't restrict myself to a certain audience. Like, And what I mean by that is, is that maybe I would have settled for the comfort zone of certain people in my life that didn't push me to a different level or didn't inspire me to go to a different level maybe even, and I'm not being cocky saying this, but maybe I was the smartest person in the room sometimes. And I was comfortable being in that room. And that was the wrong room to be in. I needed to actually put myself in a room that I wasn't the smartest in the room and learn from others. And so by putting myself out there and even really in, 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 and I mean by, I mean this by like actually uncomfortably putting myself in the position intentionally that changed things. Like Great example. One of the best testimonials that I got from my book was a gentleman by the name of Trey Crowder out of Tennessee. He's an amazing um, comic. He's a very funny political comedian that that has a very interesting, he's called the liberal redneck. He does a very interesting kind of routine that then anybody could get a good laugh out of. And I really admired the way that he actually presented himself. And I've read his book and it's really funny. And I just love everything, the way this guy presents himself. So I thought to myself, this guy's coming to Vancouver with his comedy troupe. I should go down there, get some tickets, stand in line, maybe even get meet and greet tickets so that I can actually get in front of him 
And then I'll have my opportunity to actually engage with him. Now, before I might not have done that. I might've just held myself back and went, Oh no, you know, I'm just this guy and just kind of keep myself down. But instead I got those tickets. I waited in the last, I was the last person in line. I sat there and waited for everybody to go through for book signings and all that stuff. I was the very last person. And I actually talked to him and his two stand-up comedian partners and said, okay, guys, I'm going to get all the fanboy stuff out of the way. I'll tell you exactly what I think of all you guys. And then I want to get down to business and ask you some questions. And they were like, what? I said, yeah, yeah. So I ended up at, you know, come, come, uh, I guess you could say giving them compliments on their show and everything. But then I turned around and said, you know, I'd really appreciate a favor. And they were like, what? And I said, Trey, I admire what you do. Would you be open to maybe when I get my book done? Now, this is five years ago. I hadn't even really started writing, but I was at the point where I wanted to pursue my dream. And I said to him, I said, I have a very colorful past. I was 25 years in the male exotic dance industry and then his chin hit the floor. And then I basically said, I'm, my drive is, is to write this book about my past and I really want to make an impact. So if it's worthy enough, would you be willing to pass my writings off maybe to your publicist if it was, you know, because I really like the way your book was designed. If it's worthy enough, would you be willing to do that? And he said, Corey, my God. He was like, here's my email address. Stay in touch. Definitely. And I thought, wow, this guy's like a superstar to me. And he actually just said yes. And here I was, little guy going from down on below, looking up at the pedestal going, oh my God, this guy's actually going to support me. And the crazy thing was two years later, I finally emailed him and told him where I was. And he said, great, let me know when it's done. And he was, he got back to me right away. And this guy's busy. Like I'm not, he's more busy than anybody I know. So then about a month or so ago, I said, my book's completed. I don't need the introduction, the introduction anymore to your publicist or your publication, or I should say your publisher, um, because I have my own now. But I would really love it if you read the first five chapters of my book and you were, if you would be willing to give me a testimonial on that, that would be great. And he was like, oh my God, I'd be honored. So I sent it off to him. He read all five chapters as busy as he was. And he gave me the best testimonial in the book, you know? And so again, maybe in my past life, the person that I was before, maybe that guy wouldn't have reached out. Maybe he would have went, oh no, you know, just stayed reserved and not manifested those things and so some of my best friends that i associate with now like my friend mike chisholm he does exactly that he was a huge david letterman fan and went out there and actually went to new york went to dave's show wore a salmon colored suit it was the most ugliest suit i've ever seen in my life and sat in the front row and was just waiting for dave to go ahead and just hammer him with something because he wanted to get that attention it was intentional he put himself there but it was great because he made, made so many connections and he ended up sitting in Dave's chair with his wife in the interview chair. And, you know, they got to know him and everything. And it was like, that didn't happen by sitting in his house being reserved. He actually had to take the step and go and put himself out there. And so you got to be bold. If you, you can't, it's just like, to me, I've always used this reference. I'm sure Jimi Hendrix was an amazing guitar player, but if Jimi Hendrix was sitting in his basement playing guitar all day, and expecting the world to come to him, Jimi Hendrix would never have been Jimi Hendrix. He had to get out there and market himself. He had to go out there and do what he needed to do and play in front of people. And that needed that took being bold. That took taking that action to do that. So if there's any advice I can give to anybody that's trying to pursue their dream, be bold, take action, get out there outside of your comfort zone and, and just find those things. Like there's, there's opportunity everywhere, but by sitting in your house, waiting for it to come to you, it's never going to happen. You got to go do it. So, yeah. yeah. And I love it that it's like, you're, you're not playing small, which is often like when we're, we're fighting fear, 
that lack of worth, you know, just we're, we're fighting our own mental battle is that we will play small. And so what you've described here is stepping way out there and being, I would call it courageous just to (laughs) set the records. Okay. Well, you know what, Mike, I'm just being a very, I'm I'm trying to be that nice guy that doesn't want to even put myself there, but yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll go with it. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's something that you wouldn't have done before. It takes a level of courage to put yourself out there and to ask because even though you've asked a question doesn't mean you're going to get that. Yes, but you'll never get the yes unless you ask. So, I mean, I, just, I absolutely love it. Um, yeah. As we wrap it, up here, what I would, would like to know is like, what's, what's one or two things that you would say as you've gone through your journey, um, you know, of healing and, and introspection, mm-hmm. what's, what's like one or two things that you would say were most pivotal for you that like I, or, you know, another guy could do to see that same kind of awareness come about or, or growth in ourselves, what would you, what would you bring about? I think that that for me, uh, and I can only speak from my own perspective, right? Like I can't, it's, it's just like, I can only gently guide somebody into the right direction. I can't say this is what you literally need to do. Cause I don't, if anybody's listening out there, I obviously don't know you, but what worked for me was, is just really finding that and I like to call it, it's almost like um, there's an element of it where when, when, you, when I used to get triggered by certain things, I would have that feeling, that gut feeling that just came up if it was somebody that said something the wrong way or whatever it is that made me feel like lower or made me feel like I was lacking or whatever it was. I would get that gut feeling. And then you know what I'd do? I'd actually sit and resonate in it. And I'd actually like... I would, I, I would literally absorb all that, that horrible, maybe it, it, it's something that anybody can relate to. As an example, you do a post on social media and all of a sudden somebody puts an angry face when they're not, they were supposed to put a, a heart and you're sitting there going, oh, I can't believe they're angry at me for that. And then you're feeling it and it's in your gut and you're sitting there holding it all day and remembering those things. And you keep having it circulate in your brain. Like, and I had things that happened in my past that were bullying experiences when I was a kid or, or, or maybe some confrontation that I had that I was not proud of or whatever it might be. They can pop into your head at the most unbelievable times. And, and so like, to me, there's days when I would wake up before that I would let that fester and I would literally just let that stay instead of just going, Eh, you know what? That's somebody else's perspective. I'm not here to please the whole world. I can only please who is who who I can please. And that's exactly what I've come to realize with this. If I'm trying to please all eight billion people on this planet, I'm going to end up going insane. So to me, I have a certain demographic, a certain audience that's going to resonate with what I have to say and what I have, how I can impact people. And if they don't like me, it's okay. It's just okay. And so to me, it's kind of like when I have that day, when I wake up and not every day do I wake up, like I've had 10 cups of coffee and I feel on top of the world. I'm going to go kill it. If you think that that's crazy, that's not the way it works, but there's days when I do still wake up with a feeling of lack or I kind of feel like, Oh, maybe I'm in over my head, but sometimes you just have to take a step back instead of being so hard on yourself. And when you're having that gut feeling, that's not right go take, do, do what you got to do. And maybe it's detach. And that's why detachment is actually one of my values is because 
it sometimes takes detaching from everything. And what I did, and if I could give everybody in the audience their wish, if I could wave a magic wand that was somewhat realistic in this world, is that by the time you hit the midpoint of your life, if you could actually take a year off of life, if you could take a year off of work, responsibilities, the wife, the kids, if you could take a year off of everything, relationships in general, and just be able to actually really look into yourself and figure yourself out on that self-development journey. I would wish that for everybody because that opened up so many doors. So when I'm in that thing of lack, I have to go on that self-discovery journey on a day like that. And maybe it's just going out and doing a walk or maybe a hike somewhere for an hour and like detaching, putting the phone in my pocket and just go and appreciate what I have around me and be grateful for the things that I do have, not for the things that I don't have and really focus on solutions instead of focusing on all the problems in the world. Cause guys, we just get that drilled into us, whether you turn that box on in your living room or you're just looking at the box I'm looking at right now, we always have all those negatives that are just pounding away at us, you know, and sometimes to me, detaching really just gives that, that ability to really look at yourself and go, it's bad right now, but it could be a whole lot worse. And this is the solution instead of focusing on the problem. So if like, that's, that's the biggest thing. And, and that's not saying that that's going to apply to everyone, but that's, that's the thing that I've learned to do. Cause I used to complain about problems a lot and I don't really complain about problems anymore because those are things that I have no control over. The only thing I have control over is, is right, right between these years here. Right. So yeah, you know, do the best with the person that you are. And it's impossible to be perfect, but become the best version of yourself. And that's kind of what I wrote in the, the second chapter of my book. It's on discipline and it's called Put Down the Remote to Be the Goat. And it's not being the greatest of all time because I'm not saying that I was ever the greatest of all time, but the mentality of being the greatest of all time, be the greatest version of you. And whether that's on the daily basis, the weekly basis, the monthly or the yearly, get out there and do it because nobody else is going to do it for you. Absolutely. <laughs> and that then helps us to elevate and take bigger steps down the road. It creates confidence as we take that action and see the results. Yeah. Corey, I speak that from the heart, man. I mean that. Like, you I know, know you do. And I love it. Corey, how can people reach out and connect with you and, and with the book? How can, like, where can they find it? How can they, they grab yeah. a copy? Well, thanks for asking. <laughs> That's a great plug. Um, no, um, my website is takeitoff.ca. So takeitoff.ca. I'm up here in Canada. So I do have the, the, the .ca address. But also, um, I am doing a, an Amazon launch. Now, my Amazon launch is January the 18th, a week from now. Um, so uh, it is a take it off email. Uh, it's just a simple email list that I've created to be able to sign up for that, to be able to get an alert for the launch. And that gives a discounted rate on the launch day. But if somebody just wants to be able to check it out, you can actually on January 18th, search for Take It Off Revelations of a Male Exotic Dancer, and you can purchase the book at a discounted rate on that day. So, And then partial proceeds on Amazon launch day are going towards men's and women's mental health through uh, 
third space charity here in Kelowna, uh, where I live in British Columbia. So that that is something that really inspires me. I really wanted to be able to donate towards that charity in particular, because it actually helps out counselors to be trained uh, that are between the ages of, I believe, 19 years old on out till 29 or somewhere around there to be able to actually to be trained to help people that are dealing with mental health issues. Because quite frankly, here in Canada, three out of four suicides now are men. And there's a reason why, because there's a really skewed definition of man enough, unfortunately, out there. And so for me, um, I wrote that in my book a little bit about the, de- the true definition of man enough, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the hunter-gatherer. Maybe it's the guy that's willing to actually open up to their partner and maybe open up some emotion instead of just being that, that Tom Cruise from Top Gun guy that's not willing to cry, right? Sometimes you have to let the dam break to, well, <laughs> or you, you might dam break. So, yeah. you know, that's what I'm saying. So, No, it's so powerful, and, and the fact that we don't communicate is oftentimes what gets us to that extreme point um, that we're seeing in statistics where men just, you know, go to, go to that point. It's hard. Thank you so much for coming on today, sharing your journey, the, both, both the, the, the road to being worthy, your values and how you've transformed uh, just who you are and how you see yourself and that you're looking people straight in the eye now. And I really appreciate it. And thank you, my friend, for joining me. I'm more than honored, Mike. I I resonated with you from the first moment I made contact with you. And man, thank you so much. I'm, I'm, like I said, honored to be on this podcast. So much appreciated. My pleasure, my friend. Have a great one. You too. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.